Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Well, listen, the bride of Christ, that's a spiritual reality. He uses that illustration because there's no closer relationship than that of husband and wife. It's why the enemy of our souls hates marriage because he knows if he can destroy the marriage, he can destroy the family. And if he destroys the family, he can destroy the culture. And if he destroys the culture, well, it's a win for him. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Lord's Supper. We're in Mark 14, starting in verse number 10. It's the aftermath of Judas' decision to betray Jesus, and the disciples are gathering together for their last supper with their Lord. So let's listen in. Judas Iscariot, verse 10, one of the 12 went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. They plotted, they planned, and he decided to partner with them. But Jesus' mission, again, was in the hands of the Father. He was doing, as he said he did, always, all things to please the Father. It was the first day of unleavened bread. That's the Passover. When they killed the Passover lamb, verse 12, his disciples said to him, where do you want to go? Us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover. He sent two of the disciples and said to them, go into the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said to them. And they prepared the Passover. In the evening, he came with the 12, and as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Many of you are so familiar with these passages, as familiar as I am. Some of you, though, it's all brand new. And I want to say to both, tune in. Pay close attention to what we're looking at and reading. Because he says, one of you who eats with me will betray me. He's talking to a group of men he had chosen and discipled for over three years. He demonstrated his love to them. They'd watched and heard him love on others and show mercy to others. They'd been empowered by him and sent out to preach and heal and, and cast out demons. And, and I want to suggest that if Judas wasn't empowered by Jesus, they would have known something was wrong. They'd be like, hey, something's wrong with this guy, Lord. We go out there and nothing he says is right or nothing he does works. This is so sobering and should be, and, and communion, what a great day for this. How good is God's timing? How, how often have I found myself, and believe me, I don't plan these things out six months in advance. And if I did, too many things would go wrong to make it possible. But we're, we're looking at the Lord's Supper on the day we're going to share communion. That cannot be a coincidence. Well, in any case, um, that, that he says, one of you, one of you 12 will betray me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one. And listen, you'd expect them to say, well, is it him? Ah, it's got to be him. Man, that, that guy, he's always looked shady to me, Lord. No, no. They're like, is it I? Could it be me? Could I possibly do such a thing? And that's the right question, you see. We need to ask. Lord, 
Am I capable of denying you, betraying you? Because Judas was. And I'm not saying, you know, you are or I am. I'm just saying, rather than look around and wonder, we should just, if there's ever a time to be introspective, it's when we're looking at such sobering details. Another said, is it I? He answered and said, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. Gail explained to us in his message uh, a couple weeks back how this one had to be Judas. We know from other gospel accounts it was Judas, but that's not even the point. He says, it's one who's dipping with me in the dish, eating with another, breaking bread together. It was a sign of friendship and intimacy. And in their minds, the bread that was nourishing you is nourishing me. So we are becoming one with one another in breaking bread together. That's why Jews wouldn't eat with Gentiles. They wouldn't even go into a Gentile house. Not most of them. Jesus had no problems with that. He was never defiled by the things or the people around him. He was bringing holiness and purity and glory to them. In any case, he says, the son of man goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man whom the son of man, by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my body. There are two extremes when it comes to this oh-so-important declaration. Some want to take it completely literally, actually creating a doctrine that, that suggests that, that, that the, the bread we eat and the cup we drink, it literally becomes his body and blood. But, but note, he's with them there at the table. He's breaking bread and eating some himself, and he's giving it to them, and he's saying, this is my body. What he's doing is more, though, than giving them a memory tool or, or something symbolic by which to remember him. It's deeper than that, but it certainly isn't literal, and nor can it be. So he'd been blessed, by the way. Jesus was the most blessed person to ever walk the earth because Jesus was the only sinless person to ever walk the earth. He did always those things that pleased the Father. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Blessed is the man again and again and again. And it's all about hearing and responding to the one who made us and loves us and sent his son for us. So he, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to them. He did this when he fed the 5,000, same exact word order. He did the very same thing when he fed the 4,000. The difference here is they're not distributing it to the masses. This is personal. It's him and it's them. And when we have the communion time together today, I, I want to make sure you realize that, that it's a time to, to just shut out all that's around you and all who are around you and just say, Lord, it's you and me. Say what you want to say. Deal how you want to deal. Show me what you are pleased with and blessed by. Show me what displeases you and dis well, defiles me. And so in any case, he blesses, he breaks, he gives it to them. Take and eat. This is my body. Now he, as I mentioned, the most blessed ever, but he himself would be soon broken. Oh, not a bone would be broken because the prophecy said that wouldn't happen. But you know, he'd be pierced and bruised and battered and 
beaten and blindsided and all those things were about to happen. So he's, he's speaking of himself and then I'm reminded, you know, the scripture speaks of us in many ways, a holy temple unto our Lord. The apostle Paul makes the case that we're no longer our own. We've been bought with the price and we're to glorify these bodies which are his. We're not to let anything defile us, keep ourselves from those things that would, would well, d- defile us and, and misrepresent him. But we're not just a holy temple. We're called the bride of Christ. I love that picture, but I want to say not everyone in the world gets it. First time I ever heard it, I was doing a concert with a young evangelist down in Nor- Nor- um, Norco or Norwalk. They, they're, they're similar. Norwalk, Golden West Ballroom. <laughs> anyway, that, we, we did a little concert and shared, shared the Lord briefly in testimony. And then he gets up and he says, I want to talk to you fellas and you gals about being the bride of Christ. The Bible says you are the bride of Christ. And I got to tell you, this is like a biker town. And so you paradise folk will really get this. And anyone from anywhere, if you hung out with that, that group, uh, these guys' body language was the most bizarre change I've ever seen. And so quickly, they're looking at him like, you ain't calling me nobody's bride. I'm going to be nobody's bride. <laughs> but listen, the bride of Christ, it's a spiritual reality. He uses that illustration because there's no closer relationship than that of husband and wife. It's why the enemy of our souls hates marriage. Because he knows if he can destroy the marriage, he can destroy the family. And if he destroys the family, he can destroy the culture. And if he destroys the culture, well, it's a win for him. And so husbands and wives, we know husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So when he calls us the bride of Christ, he's saying, see how Jesus loves you and then love her that way and then love one another. And then love your neighbor as yourself and love, love the last, the least, and the lost. Love your enemies. And so you know the call is to love. Well, there's one other thing, and that is not just the holy temple unto the Lord or the bride of Christ, but the body of Christ. And we too have been and are being blessed by our Lord. In so many ways we're aware of and far more we're unaware of his his mercies new every morning. And man, so in need of that, and you too. And, and so he's blessing us, but then he's breaking us. And we need to see the breaking process as a humbling process because that's what he's about to do with Peter. Not because he's mad at Peter or discouraged by or disappointed with. Same true for you. If Jesus breaks you, if he humbles you, it's only so he can lift you up and use you. He has plans to use Peter mightily. Can you imagine if Peter didn't fall? And spoiler alert, if you're brand new to this, Peter's going to fall. But if you're one that, like Peter, would boast even if all of them, never me, we're going to read it in a moment. You need to know God's going to humble you. And it's interesting. He says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So you can humble yourself and he'll exalt and use you. Or you can harden your heart or exalt yourself and he'll humble you. Now, you don't have to be a genius to realize if you're going to be humbled either way, do it the easy way. Humble yourself. I've often prayed on my way here, Lord, I know you need to humble me and you're going to. Please don't do it in front of the congregation today. (laughs) For, For your sake, not mine. 
You, you know me. You know I'm honest. You know I'm flawed. You know, I, you know. And I know you're that too. And I can say that because you know it's, it's both of us. It's all of us. Well, in any case, he blesses, he breaks, and then he distributes. We become more useful to him once we're humbled by him. He took the cup, which we're going to take in just about, well, a few minutes. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. They weren't drinking individual cups, as you see in those paintings of the Last Supper. You know, they're sitting at real nice tables with beautiful goblets. It wasn't that at all. But he is taking a cup and drinking from it and passing it around to them. They weren't obviously worried about germs and such, but they all drank from it. There were four cups that they would partake of in the Passover celebration. And they come out of Exodus 6.6. That should be easy for you to remember. Not 6.6.6, but close enough. Exodus 6.6. Listen, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Sanctification, it means separation and cleansing. The two meanings of the word. He separated them from the Egyptians who had them in bondage, and then he cleansed them through the blood that was shed and applied to the doorpost and the lintels of their house. The second cup was the cup of deliverance. And he says, I will rescue you from their bondage. And by the way, everything he said to them, except the whole coming out of Egypt thing, it applies to us today. We were never in Egypt, but we've been in bondage. We've been in bondage to our own selfishness, to our own stupidity, to our own agendas and our own plans, our, our own dreams. And, and he says, I'm going to rescue you from all that. The third cup was the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I believe that's the cup. And, and I, can't, I can't say absolutely with all, you know, but that, that's the cup he was drinking. The, the cup of redemption. Later, he'll, he'll speak of another cup. He already mentions it. When James and John said, we want to be at your right hand and your left in your coming kingdom, he says, can you, can you drink of the cup I'm about to drink of? And can you be baptized with the baptism I'll be baptized in or with? And they're like, you got it, Lord, you know it. Yes. They don't even ask, well, what do you mean by that? What are you referring to? They just see the position. The cost doesn't matter to them. And then he says, well, you will drink the cup and you will have the baptism, but you will not. Well, I can't give you those positions. Maybe they're there. If they are, they should be surprised. Well, it's coming still. They're not there yet. But in the kingdom to come, 12, 12 of them would sit on 12 thrones, minus Judas. Someone takes his place. Judging the 12 tribes of Israel, that's when they wanted to sit at his right hand and left. Someone will certainly be there. So, the fourth cup is the cup of praise. And in it's uh, Exodus 6, 7, I will take you as my people. I will be your God and you will know I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the bondage of the Egyptians. Listen, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture because he's done this. He's, he, he's sanctified us, setting us apart and cleansing us. He's delivered us from ourselves the bondage of our sin nature. He's redeemed us, bought us back. And then the cup of praise, of course, we're going to be praising him. Well, he goes on to say in verse 24, 
He said to them, this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So, so, so get this, some read this and, and they say, it says shed for many. Doesn't that contradict this idea that he shed his blood for all? Not at all. What he's doing is saying, not just for you, not just for the gang gathered here. I'm shedding for many who aren't here and many who will come to faith in me. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, there's another cup, I mentioned it, and that's the cup he promised to uh, James and John as they sought positions of notoriety and, and importance in the coming, greater importance in the coming kingdom. Not enough for them to be on thrones with him judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a cup mentioned in Isaiah 51. Listen, the cup of his fury and trembling, it says. In Revelation 14, 9, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Revelation 16, 19, the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. But there's even one more. There's always another cup. And this is the one you want to drink of. Psalm 116, 13, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. When they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, we're going to sing a hymn in a little while and go out to the Olive Garden. But they went up the Mount of Olives to a beautiful garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll look at that next time. But Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Listen, these are the most reliable witnesses ever on planet earth. Two witnesses who cannot and will not lie. The, the first is, is going to be, well, it's, it's the written word because he says, it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. All of you, all of you will be made to stumble. It is written. And God's word is perfect and, and flawless and, and accomplishes all he sends it to do. It, it gives life and protection and direction and wisdom and joy and vision. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and yours as well if you're following in the footsteps of Jesus. The other absolutely reliable witness is Jesus himself. And imagine anyone who's walked with the Lord for over three years contradicting both, but Peter's about to do it. And it just shows you how deluded a person can be. He says, all will be made to stumble because the Bible says so. And because I tell you so. And Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the word of God, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. But after I've been raised, I go before you to Galilee. Well, Peter said, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. He's saying, Jesus, you're wrong about me. And Jesus, the scripture's wrong about me. Peter had so exalted himself in his own mind. He was already a legend in his own mind. And he is probably the most famous disciple. But had he not repented, it would just be infamy, just like Judas. 
The difference in Peter and Judas, both fail, Peter repents. Both fail, Judas never repented. He doesn't really, Peter, that is, understand the little words, all. Such an easy word. I looked it up just in case, and the definition will surprise you. All means all. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, verse 30, today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And just as they joined Judas earlier, now the chorus sings the chorus along with Peter. They all said likewise. He didn't just make a liar of himself. He made liars of all of them because they were listening and following him. If the Lord and his word say something and you say something different, you're wrong. It's that simple. It's always true. There are no exceptions. I want to say it's sad that worldly people are ignorant of the word. There was a time that wasn't the case. When the word was less accessible, people still got a copy and they, they read it. They knew it. They didn't all believe it, but they had it. Today, so many who have a Bible and go to church claim Jesus as Savior. They disagree with him. They debate his word. They disregard his word and warnings. The bread, his body broken for us. The cup, the cup of salvation. The, the new covenant in Jesus' blood. So we have five examples, and then we're going to Share in communion, pray a prayer, and then we'll have the ushers bring the, the communion. Peter is an example for some of us who need to repent today. It's simple. You just confess, Lord, you're right about me. My wife was right about me too. And, and, and Lord, I, I just want to ask your forgiveness. I want to be the person you created me to be. I know you're calling me to repent of my pride or my stupidity or my arrogance or my judgmental spirit or whatever it might be. Because Peter is an example of those who, who, well, if you don't repent, it'll only get worse for you and for others around you. Judas is a warning to all who trust in their religion but continue in their rebellion. He was with Jesus, but he really wasn't with Jesus. He was with the disciples. He really wasn't of the disciples because they were all given to Jesus and he was still doing his own thing. Listen, He's a serious warning because Judas is in hell today and billions of people are going to end up there, not because Jesus didn't love them or lay down his life for them or offer forgiveness to them, but because though it's not his will, any perish, all must come to repentance. And those who refuse to repent, well, John says it, they will die in their sin. Martha, a wonderful example of how a complaining servant, I've been that can become a selfless, satisfied servant. That's something we should all aspire to. Mary's a wonderful example of loving devotion, pure worship, sacrificial giving. And listen, you want to bless Jesus when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, he says, you've done it unto me. You want to lavish your love. You want to be extravagant in doing for him, then find the last, the least, and the lost and provide for them. Lazarus, is a wonderful example about of just what being alive does, how it can make us a witness to others of his life-giving, life-transforming power. Despite his fervent refusal, we know that Peter ends up denying Christ. 
And when he denied him, it wasn't like he betrayed him like Judas did. All he said was he did not know him three times. So what's the big deal? He was just trying to avoid going to jail or worse, being put to death. Well, I would have you look back at Jesus's words in Mark 8:38. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now you might think that there's a big difference between being frightened for your life and simply being ashamed, but shame has its roots in fear. We fear what others may think, so we refuse to glorify God in their presence. And refusing to glorify Him is not that different than simply denying Him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.